Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we start a new Sefer and a new Parsha. Our Parsha is Sefer Shmois in Sefer Shmois. The Parsha consists of 124 Psukim in total, and our Aliyah in specific is 18 Psukim long, running from Perak Aleph, Pasuk Aleph to Yud Ches. The main topic of our Aliyah is the Hebrew problem. We hear about in the first paragraph the names of the children of Israel come down to Mitzrayim. We hear about the 12 sons of Yaakov, and we are reminded that there were 70 souls who came down to Egypt. But that generation dies, Yosef, his brothers die, and in the meanwhile, the nation of Israel, Bnei Israel, Paru they increase manyfold, and the land becomes full of them. We now hear the Egyptian response to this. So a new king um, establishes himself over Egypt, and he does not know Asher Loyada Yoda es Yosef. He does not know Joseph. So he says to his people, "Look, I'm Israel, Rav These Israelites, there are, are many more than us. Let's deal with them carefully. We're concerned that they may increase, and then there will be a fifth column. They'll join with our enemies when a war ensues. So what they do is, is they make." Um, taskmasters for them. They put them to work in order to afflict them in you know, their work. They start building these large storage houses. They build Pitom and Ramses. And the, the problem is, or the problem from the Egyptian perspective, is the more they afflict them, the more they grow. So then the, the, they, they increase the work, make it terrible work, and the, but it still doesn't help. And the, the Pharaoh turns to the Mialdos Ha'evriyos, these Hebrew midwives, and he says, when you see a, 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 a boy being born, you should kill that boy in the process of birthing. But if it's a girl, you can let that girl live. But they disobeyed the order of the government and they allowed the children to live. That is Aralia. A lot of things to think about. We can't, can only address a few of them, but we, let's try with a few important questions. First of all, you'll notice that this posuk that starts off the Aliyah is in fact almost a carbon copy of a posuk in a Perik Memvov posuk Ches in Sev Bereshis and Vayigash describing the descent of the children of Israel down to the land of Egypt. Um, Rashi seems to address this by saying, even though we counted the nation, the, the children of Israel, literally the children, the sons of Yaakov, who came down to Egypt in their life, we recount them now. So it's almost as if the first paragraph of this parasha is a recontextualization as to what who came down to understand how we got to where we got, which is the people turning into this large nation. However, it, it is a little more intricate than this as well, because there are there is a very important word which distinguishes the way that the list goes in Parshas Vayigash and the way the list goes in Parshas Shmois, and that is the word bias. In our pasuk, as the book opens, it says, "Ve'ele Shmois b'nei Yisrael by Mitzrayim es Yaakov ish u'beisoy Each person in their house came. That word bias is not there when describing the children of the of Israel. You see this idea of bias appear numerous times. You'll see that when the midwives, in fact, um, save the the lives of those the infants that they are trying to save um, on the birthstones. They are rewarded with batim, with houses, as we'll see in the next um, aliyah. We see as well that um, there are going to be numerous ideas that relate to the bias. In fact, the Ramban explains that the book of Shemais is called the book of Geula, the, the book of redemption. Why is it called the book of redemption? He explains in his introduction that because 
even though the redemption seems to take the story of of Shmois Vaera Bashalach and Mishpat and maybe even Yisro, but then afterwards building the Mishkan, how is that to do with Geula, the redemption? He explains it is the parallel to Sefer Bereshis that the redemption will only really come when Hashem will bring back His presence to the tent of the nation of Israel, like He brought the t- His presence to the tent of the patriarchs as well. So in a certain sense re-establishing now the house, but not the house of the individuals, the house of the nation as a whole. Which is why the book concludes, Sefer Shmois ends with the Pasuk, Ki anana mishkan yomam, The cloud of Hashem will be on the, the Mishkan or the sanctuary in the day, at fire at night, in the houses of Israel in all of their travels. So base Yisrael over here is what is being used, as the idea is the achievement of this book is the transformation of the individuals from being simply individuals or tribes into a nation, into a bias, into um, something which is much bigger than just uh, the sum of the individual parts themselves. And that's the, the thesis that is already extant in the first puzzle. Moving on to the next question, who was this new pharaoh? Rashi presents two options which are recorded in the Gemara in Sotan Dafyud Aleph, and that is Rav and Shmuel argue whether this means to say it actually is a new pharaoh, or whether it was a pharaoh who turned a blind eye to the past and had new decrees once Yosef was no longer. Now, A. McDover, Rav Naftali Tzayyuda Berliner points out that it actually is um, precisely because of Yosef's unbelievable dedication to the Egyptian nation and to the government that caused later people or people like this pharaoh to suspect his intentions. Why were those Hebrews so involved in society? Why were those such high achievers? It must be because they had an agenda, they were trying to do X, Y, and Z, and that's how he explains it. Very sad description of the Jewish plight in diaspora reality. The Shadal, Rav Lutzato, has a very interesting point. He quotes um, an uh, um, interesting um, Jewish historiographer, Isaac Marcus Yost, um, who uh, lived in Germany in the 17 to 1800s. And he actually, in his book, Allgemeine Geschichte des Israelischen Volkes, says, um, claims that there was a change in dynasties at this point in time, that the previous dynasty of the pharaohs was one of what's called Parayit of the Roim, of the shepherds. Uh, this is, they, they were somewhat, we were called Hebrophiles, they were, they were appreciators of shepherds and of Hebrews, which is why they had more of a relationship with Yosef and his brothers. But now Ramses enters, and Ramses was an overthrow of the more, we'll call it Aryan or direct line Egyptians, and they wanted to get rid of the, first of all, that dynasty and all of those who they were associated with. So this reflects, historically speaking, um, this particular um, this particular movement. Now, another question is, what was Pharaoh's concern with Israel? Or what was his at least trumped up charges? What was it that he um, tried to use to, to, to convey to his people the reason why he was doing this program? So the, he, he mentions a number of conspiracies. All conspiracies which you see in Pharaoh's words are conspiracies which we'll see multiple other times throughout the course of Jewish history which are used by people trying to um, 
make the Jew into the devil. So one conspiracy number one, the Orachim points out, is that they are different. Hinei am b'nei Yisrael, the nation. They're, they're not us. They don't really speak Egyptian the same way. They don't go to the same sports games. They don't have the same interests. They're not really us. The way the, the way that the Kliakos says is that, that you cannot have two nationalities in one country. There's always going to be duplicity. There's going to be, um, there's going to be a, a degree of a different loyalty. A second the second conspiracy the Orachim HaKadosh points out is that they are genocidal. After all, they were promised the lands of the Canaanites. And they're going to wipe out every last living Canaanite. We have our responsibility to protect our brothers who come from the, uh, from the nation of um, Ham, from the children of Ham. We are going to incarcerate them in order to protect our brethren. So we are actually good, generous people by protecting the world from these bloodthirsty Jews. That's what the second conspiracy. Conspiracy number three, but you hear that a lot of times, that the, 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 the Germans in the 1930s and 1940s, the Jews are misfortune. It's almost as if they were protecting society as victims from these terrible Jews who are going to destroy them and the world. <clears throat> Third conspiracy is, is as Lord HaKadosh says, is Rav Vatsumimenu. You know why they are fat? You know why they are so many? Is because we've been feeding them. It's our economy. It's our tax. It's our jo- it's our taxpayer money. It's our jobs they're taking. We are the ones who made them so good. We have the right and control over them because ultimately we made them who they are. Conspiracy number four is, you know what? It's not about how big they are now. It's their growth rate. Their growth rate is terrifying. These Jews just keep having children. And you know what? In just a few years, they are going to overtake us, says the Malbim. And therefore, we need to take action to help stem the tide of this terrifying nation. That is conspiracy number four. All ideas we have heard beforehand. What was the purpose of, of, of this of the work? So if you look carefully, actually, there are three stages of Egyptian decrees. The first stage is hard work. It is clear, as the Chizkuni points out, that the point is they want to stem the tide of reproduction. That per people who are broken or don't have the time or will or hope for children. So let's psychologically, let's break them down. That's what Haggadah says when it says, um, uh, the Hashem saw that they were no longer having children. That was stage number one, but that didn't work. It backfired. They carried on having children. Therefore, the, we'll call it decree number two um, of the final solution was instituted, and that was the midwives. Why were the midwives chosen for this? Why did they want to um, kill the children? Um, so it actually relates to the, to the next question, which is the third stage of the whole program, which is the idea of killing the firstborns, which is the next topic of the next aliyah. Why was that the case? Why were they getting rid of the, bo- of the boys? So the Gomorrah Sota tells us that there, that there was the possibility, and Rashi quotes this, of the savior of the Hebrew nation coming out of them, and, and he was a boy. So let's get rid of him to get rid of the savior. However, it also points out that the the, the Gemara also um, identifies that it wasn't just about the, um, the 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 savior. But another possibility is is was it was to thin their ranks. It was to get rid of more of them. The women would assimilate. They would marry the girls would marry Egyptians, and the boys would no longer be there, be there to carry on the fairy family name, and therefore they would ultimately end up being less. These are three programs to lessen the numbers and the identity of the Hebrew nation. And in a certain sense, they were successful, or they were trying to be successful, as we'll see when we get to the next Aliyah. With this, we close the first Aliyah. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.